Hey, Northside family, how are you guys today? Good to see you. Hey, would you welcome everybody in our video venue and our 815 crowd that will watch this? We want to welcome them. And uh, love that it's Super Bowl weekend, and uh, I don't know what you guys have got planned for this weekend, but I love it, and I've already taken some ribbing because I made fun of the Patriots last weekend, and rightfully so. Uh, but just to let you know, man, I got Patriot fans in my life group, and, and I've even got UK fans in my life group, all right? We're trying to connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ, and, and this is... Uh, yeah, yeah. And this is the word that they gave me this week. They said, you teach us about God, we'll teach you how to follow a team that actually wins. And, uh, and so I love the body of Christ, that we can make fun of one another and enjoy. And I love Super Bowl weekend, playing on watching it just at home with the kiddos and the family. And hopefully you got some friends that you'll watch it with. Uh, but the thing that I love about this game is, man, this is the game. Whether you're a fan or not, you know, everything kind of stops tomorrow afternoon. I did a little research on the Super Super Bowl, and uh, I found this out that tomorrow there will be six billion dollars in betting on one game tomorrow. Six billion dollars will be bet on one game. And what's fascinating is this they'll allow you to bet on like the coin toss, right? They'll allow you to bet, you know, will Tom Brady deflate those footballs? Yeah, it's, like, it's like whatever you want to do. You know, you can, do, you can bet on all sorts of stuff. There's all these things. And what's fascinating is this, these like, you know, people who bet, man, they will, they will review everything of who's going to win because they want to make money and they want to hit it big and all this other stuff. And what's fascinating are the two teams, the LA Rams and, and the New England Patriots, this is what, if you begin to talk to them, you'll hear reports. They will take time to literally watch every single game that the other team played this year. 16 plus games. They will watch every single snap. They will watch previous years of Tom Brady. They will study every single thing that he did because this is what they're looking to do. They're looking for weaknesses. They're looking for tendencies. They're looking, what are they going to do in this situation? What do they do here? When does this happen? And then this is, you know, last year we saw the play, the Philly Philly. And uh, this is what happens is teams begin to create new plays because they know they're going to come after us trying to stop us here. And we're going to try to score and advance the football. And you will see they even give them an extra week to prepare because they know this is such a big game. They will study and they will know the team maybe better than they know themselves because they know for 60 minutes the other team is their what? It's their enemy. They are our enemy. They are standing between us and what we want more than anything else in the world. They'll say, we spent the entire season, the entire off-season, getting ready, lifting weights, running, eating healthy, doing all these things so that we can win the championship. And they go, nothing's going to stand in the way. We will know every single thing about our enemy. We will not let our enemy stop us. Today, what we're talking about is this idea and rooted is who is our enemy and it's fascinating that two football teams will know every single thing about the other team. But typically, even for us Christians, if I were to ask you, who is Satan? We know he, well, he dresses red, and he's on my shoulder half the time, right? And, and you know, some of these things about him, I go, oh, no, 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 but tell me some scripture about him. 
Well, he dresses in red and, and he says, I know, no, no, but what does he do and how does he act? And here's the thing. We have an enemy that is in this world. And what we're going to find is this. He has come to kill, to steal, and destroy your life. He has come to destroy your life. He's come to destroy your marriage. He wants to divide your family. He wants your work to be an absolute nuisance. He wants to destroy us. The only problem, especially even for us, if you become a follower of Christ, is a lot of times we know nothing about our enemy. And typically, this is the reason why you and I get stuck in our life, is we get stuck and we're trying to figure things out. And what we don't realize is a lot of time we're just following and listening to the enemy more than we're listening to the Savior and the Spirit in our life. That's why I love that lost song. I might be surrounded, but I am surrounded by you, God. And right now in your life, you might feel surrounded that you didn't know what does it look like that Satan's doing in your life. And isn't it fascinating? I did this. I bought a pair of jeans off of Amazon. I thought that would never happen. And a couple weeks ago, I did. And I, I'll just, this is, this is, you know, kind of, I'll turn on my man card after the service. It's all right, you know. And for 45 minutes, I read Amazon reviews to buy one pair of jeans. Anybody there? You go, yeah, I don't buy anything without looking at the Amazon reviews. And all of that, what do we do when we go to buy a car? What do we look up? Consumer reports. We're like, I'm not buying a hunk of junk. I made that mistake once. I bought a 2003 Honda Accord. I will never make another purchase as long as I live without looking at carcomplaints.com first. What I found out was this, the 2003, I didn't know when I bought it, 2003 Honda Accord, the worst Honda Accord they've ever made. You know how the dealer sold me? You know, this was years after it came out, they go, oh, it's the new body style. And I went, well, I got to have the new body style. I mean, it's 2008, but it'll look brand new. And man, isn't that the way Satan works? Boy, he tempts us with stuff. Look at this. This will be good. You'll love it. Oh, it looks so good. All these things going on. And so here's what I want to go tonight. When we talk about the enemy, when we talk about this stuff, especially being Super Bowl weekend, I want to do three things. Three things tonight, simply this. I want to give you a scouting report on the enemy. You don't have to go do a bunch of stuff, a bunch of research. I want you to be in God's word, but I'm going to do an overview tonight real quick, and I want to give you a scouting report of who our enemy is. I want to give you the game plan of what the apostle Paul says, how we fight our enemy, and then I want to tell you what does it look like in a day-in, day-out way that we fight our enemy. You guys are good for that? So this is going to be a little bit of a locker room moment for us as a church because some of us, we don't know who our enemy is. We've heard about Satan before, but here's the thing. I want to let you know, and here's the scouting report, man. I feel like I should have a whistle. I don't know what I'm saying. Like, I feel like, but here's the scouting report on Satan. Real quick, if you don't know this, this is the scouting report. The first thing that you'll learn about Satan is this. The original sin, the first sin that ever hit this world wasn't from Adam and Eve. The first sin that hit this world was pride. I don't know if you know this, but Satan didn't start out as Satan. He was the highest ranking angel, according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Matter of fact, it said he was so beautiful, so talented. He was the highest level of an angel. And what happens to us when we think we're more important than our organization? Pride comes before the what? Fall. We've seen it. We've all fallen before. See, see, Satan, the whole originator of him, we go, oh, it's Satan. No, no, no. And, and here's the thing. This is what I want to be very careful of is this. We know that if we don't respect our opponent, if you're playing sports, if you don't respect your opponent, if Tom Brady walks in tomorrow and goes, I'm Tom Brady. I'm Tom Brady. What's going to happen? He's going to lose. He's going to lose. 
This is why people prepare, and you always hear coaches say this, I got a lot of respect for that team. Now, here's the thing with Satan. We need to respect him. We don't need to under-respect him, but we also don't need to over-respect him. But we, re- we better respect that we have someone who is prideful, who wants you to get lost in your pride. That's what, that, when you've heard this phrase, sometimes people take it, like, and, and they dress it up a little bit too much, but if you've ever heard this phrase, spiritual warfare, you know what spiritual warfare is? Spiritual warfare is Satan trying to get you to look at yourself or something else more than you look at Jesus. That's what spiritual warfare is. Begin to trust in yourself, in your money, in your marriage, in your kids. Just worship your kids. Doesn't that sound good? I'm doing it for the children. And you begin to worship an idol more than the one who created your kids, more than the one who created you. That's all Satan wants. Worship something other than Jesus. It says he took a third of the heaven's angels with him. See, see, we got to understand who we're dealing with. The other thing is this. He's a creep. He's a creep. Listen to what it says about him. Peter, one of the disciples, writes to the church to remind them about who Satan is. He wants to go, hey, we have an enemy in this world. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be self-controlled and alert. He means live by the Spirit. Be self-controlled. Be alert because your enemy, the devil, you have an enemy, the devil He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's creeping. He's looking. He's setting stuff up because he wants to devour and destroy your... He's looking for your weakness. He's looking for your weakness. He's creeping. He's creeping. There's things that will pop up in our life and you go, where'd that come from? He's a creep. He's a creep. Not only that, he's a thief. That's what Jesus says. It says that he's a thief. In John chapter 10, it says, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we better respect Satan, but we better be aware that Jesus goes, no, no I'm coming. Because a lot of times this is what Satan tempts us. This is what he, this is what he wants to do as a thief. This is, I've heard this so many times in my life. Nate, don't trust Jesus. He just wants to take away all your fun. And doesn't sin, isn't, let's be honest for a second, isn't sinning fun? Everybody's like, I don't think I can say yes. <laughs> sin always starts out as fun, doesn't it? Until we experience the consequences of sin. And then we go, this ain't fun. This ain't fun. And you go, oh, I got duped. Because this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to steal. He goes, oh, I want to show you this shiny thing over here, and then I'm going to steal your life. Jesus says, that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to think that I'm here just to take away your life. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, abundantly more than anything you could create. That's what Jesus came to do. He goes, he is a thief. Not only that, he's fake. He's fake. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to what it says about him. He says, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. This is why a lot of times you don't sense him, you don't see him. Because he wants to look good. He wants to look appealing. He wants to look at all this stuff and we don't even realize what's fake. Boy, when I bought that 2003 Honda Accord, I had no idea. At 90,000 miles, they always drop out of their transmission. I just looked, oh, it's got a new body on the inside. Guess what? Doesn't matter if the body's new. If you've got a bad transmission, what's happening? 
has fallen out. See, that's what Satan loves to do, man. He loves to masquerade. He loves to make things look good. Oh, this is a good thing. You need this. And then finally, Jesus says this, that he is a murderer and he is a liar. John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, he was a murderer from the beginning. That Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's not truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. This is who we're dealing with. Tonight, after this, after service, this week, this is what you're going to encounter. I want to give you a scouting report. Don't lose it. Take your phone out. Take a picture. Take your phone out in church. Don't play Candy Crush, but take a picture. All right? Take a picture. Go, oh, no, no, no. This is a scouting report. Here's my enemy. If you don't know it, now you know. But here's the deal. We don't have an enemy without hope, do we? See, this is, the, this is the beautiful thing about God, that even when we have an enemy, we still have hope. Listen to what this says. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it said, the reason that the Son of God appeared, the reason that Jesus came to earth was to destroy the devil's work. Isn't that awesome? Man, we, we need to be aware of our enemy. We also need to be aware of the work of Jesus. That the reason he came was to destroy. Satan wants to steal. Jesus wants to bring life. We need to respect our enemy, but we need to honor the Savior more who's come to this earth. Because he has come to destroy the devil's work. It goes on to say this, the one who is in you. You saw Lauren get baptized, man. She is celebrating the life of Christ, the Holy Spirit that is in her now. And the one that is in Lauren. And when we become a follower of Jesus, the one that is in us, it says this, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Do you believe today that you have one that is in you that is greater than your enemy? Do you believe that? See, a lot of times this is your struggle and my struggle. I don't believe that I have one better and stronger than this. And so here's our problem. We begin to fight out of our own strength. We begin to fight this guy by our own ability. You know why you're losing today? Because you're doing it by yourself. So what's our game plan? Here's our enemy. You got an enemy. And let me, let me just let you know, if you don't think you got an enemy, he's already sucker punched you. You're just knocked out right now. You don't even know it. You don't even know it. Ugh, Satan. We'll see you when you come by the office here in a couple months, maybe a couple years, and you go, can I talk to your care pastor? Why? Well, I didn't realize it. There's been this sin going on in my life. We better wake up. We got an enemy. He wants to destroy, our, but greater is the one in you than who is in the world. So what's our game plan? How do we fight this enemy, man? Paul says this. If you have your scriptures, open this up to Ephesians chapter 6, or we'll put it on the screen. Listen to the game plan of Paul. He gives us a way to fight the enemy. We need to respect him, but we don't need to over-respect him. And listen what Paul says. This is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. He's writing to the church because they're dealing with the same issue that you and I are dealing. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's scheming. He's a creep. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says three things, and this is our game plan tonight that he says that we've got to pay attention to. He said there's three things that is our game plan. He says, if you want to fight your enemy, here's the three things. One, you need to be strong. You better be strong in the Lord. You better suit up. You better put on the full armor of God because, hello, we are in a struggle. And you notice something that was real fascinating? He says this. I, I found this to be fascinating. He goes, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, we think our struggle is in politics, right? Oh, if those Republicans... Ah, oh, those Democrats. We could really make something of ourselves if we could just, you know, if everybody get along on that stuff. And here's what Satan loves to do. He loves to pit people against people. Because here's what he knows. As long as you think it's about the other person and not about evil at work in this world, he's got you duped. Paul says for our, our battle, it's not against flesh and blood. That, that's not what our struggle is. But he starts with this. He says, you know what we need to be? We need to be strong. Here's what's funny. We work backwards, don't we? We're in a struggle. I better, I better suit up. I'm going to church Saturday night. I'm going to get my Jesus juices up because I'm going to get beat down like it's Mortal Kombat, you know, during the week. And then I'm going to get back to church and the energy is going to go back up. And so we're going to go, I'm in a struggle. I better suit up and I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to be strong. You know what's fascinating? Paul reverses this order. And he starts by saying this. He goes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You want to know how you and I are strong in the Lord and his mighty power? You want to write this down. To be strong in the Lord is to become weak in ourselves. To be strong in the Lord is to become weak in ourselves. Let's be honest. In America, we don't like that, do we? I don't want to tell don't, don't reveal your weaknesses. People will pounce on you. Paul says if you uh, want to be strong in the Lord, you, that, that's the only way forward. The only way forward for us to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power is to quit living in our power. Mike Matheny, the former manager of the Cardinals, was here Thursday night, and he talked about this, and he says, you know what disgusts me more than anything else? I'm taking notes, and I'm like, I'm, I'm waiting to hear, you know, it's Satan, and it's this, you know, I'm preaching on him, I want to take notes. He goes, it's weak Christians who won't stand up for anything, who won't serve, who won't bring justice to this world, and he said, it's weak Christians and what he was saying is this, it's Christians who they claim Christ, but they live in their own power. You want to be a weak Christian? Keep trying to fight Satan in your own ability, and you will lose every time. Paul says, first thing you and I got to do, man, in this battle that we're in, here's the game plan. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power and be weak in yourself. Be weak in your Self. This week in your rooted groups, you're going to have, a, as you go through the work group, it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty real and raw. And there's a, there's a part there that's going to ask you, it's going to guide you through to confess the strongholds in your life. 
And this is what's going to happen this week. You're going to have to confess your weaknesses, one to yourself. And they ask the guys and the girls to kind of split up so that way it can be private. There can be accountability. But can I be honest just with you for a second? You know what my prayer has been this week? And I know this sounds so funny. My prayer has been this week, God make us the weakest church. You imagine putting that up outside our building? Come here, we're weak. All the weak sauce you can handle right here, you know. Come on in. But here's the thing, you know what I know? And this is my prayer for you this week, especially if you're in a rooted group. Oh, I'm praying that groups would get weak this week. Because here's what I know is going to happen in our life as a church and in your group. When we become weak, that's when we become what? Strong. That's what Paul says. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. You struggling with sin? Get weak. Your marriage struggling? Get weak. So you can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, this is the beauty of God. It's all different. But here's the deal. How do we fight, man? He, Paul says, I want you to suit up. Here's what it looks like to suit up. We're going to walk through this, man, because this is going to look a little bit different than maybe we've understood. Listen to what he says here. He, he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, 13 through 18. Listen to what he says. He goes, so therefore, as we are weak and we're putting on the power of God, he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. See, we don't just walk around weak with nothing, man. When we become honest before God, he gives us his power, but then he gives us weapons. And he says, here's the weapons. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, it's not if the day of evil will join your house or join your life, but when it comes, and it is here, and it is now, when it comes, you may be able to stand your ground. It's knocking on your door. It might be in your life right now. And when it comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Jesus is saying, I, wanna, I want you to take up the faith so that when Satan speaks in your life, you will have me, not those thoughts. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the, is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You know what it means to suit up? One, and we know to be strong, we need to become weak. You want to experience power that you don't have because you're in attack? Get weak so you can get strong. Here's what it looks like to suit up. To suit up means to put on what God has already provided. A lot of times, that's my, that's my problem. I, I go, you know what? I, I just need to be stronger. I need to do better this week. Uh-uh. You know what I need to do this week? I need to put on the armor of God. Matter of fact, Paul is writing this, and the reason why he goes, it sounds kind of like a soldier. I got a picture of what a Roman soldier looked like. And he's writing this, and he's given this description because this is what everybody sees walking around in that day. Everybody's looking around and they see guys like this and they go, don't mess with that dude. That is power personified. Man, look at that sword. He will, he will kill you. Look at that shield. Look at those boots, man. Look at, he's protected. What weakness does he have? You can't touch that guy. Can I ask you for a second? Where's Rome's army today? 
Oh, they make cool movies about it, right? This is Sparta. <laughs> you are dead. You know, like, you're in a book. Paul says, don't be confused. That looks powerful. It's actually weak. There's no power in that. There's no power in that. Rome fell apart because they tried to live by their own power. Paul says, your life will fall apart as a Christian if you try to live in your power and you don't put on the full armor of God. I want to cover your weaknesses. This is what's so cool. We get to come to church and go, I'm weak. Here's God. Would you cover me? He goes, oh yeah, good news. I got all this armor. I got all this gear. Here's what he starts with. He says, start with, put on the belt of truth. We have little, you know, tiny belts or whatever. This belt of truth, if you saw that soldier, this belt's like a WWE belt. And this is why. It, it protected his guts. And it held his sword and his money and everything. It was like this big tool belt. It wasn't a little skinny belt. It was this belt that came across here and said, no, because this is what they also believed in that Roman time period, that you thought with your stomach. This is why we say phrases like this. What's your gut telling you? Go with your what? Go with your gut. Oh, what's happening in my life? It is gut-wrenching. This is why Paul starts there. He says, the truth of God has got to be in your guts. You want to survive in this world with your enemy? One, become weak so you can become strong, but you better put on the full armor of God. Or dude, Satan is just going to be throwing haymakers at your gut. Ooh, anybody ever the wind knock out before? Like you can't talk. What's wrong? You're being gut punched, man. Paul says it starts with putting the belt of truth on. Put the truth of God deep in your guts. Put it in there. Because this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, if you put my teaching in your guts, don't just tattoo it on yourself, put it in your guts. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free, man. It's going to set you free. This is why he goes, belt of truth, because it's a gut check. Then he goes to the breastplate of righteousness. And what this is all about is it is doing the right things with God. He goes, it starts in your gut, and then it moves to your heart. Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And it starts in your gut and it goes to your heart and it goes out everywhere. Did you know this? That the most spiritual thing we do is we make decisions. The most spiritual thing you'll do today is the decisions you'll make after this service. I love that you made the decision to be here. But guess what? You have a decision after this service of what you're going to do. And in the morning, you're going to make another spiritual decision. And it's decision after decision after decision. He goes on to say this, starts in your gut, goes to your heart, and then Paul says this. Anybody remember? It is the feet fitted with readiness with the gospel of peace. You go, what, 
why aren't you, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to keep going up? Didn't he talk about the helmet of salvation? Didn't he talk about all this other stuff? Why wouldn't you just keep going up? Because he knows this. Here's what's going to happen. Once it gets into your gut and into your heart, it's going to pour into your feet. You're going to start making decisions. And he says, it is your feet fitted with readiness with the gospel of peace. Which me, And I love this phrase. Sometimes we need to defeat by retreat. One of the most spiritual things you can do maybe this week, if you're in an inappropriate relationship, or if you're dating somebody and you already know, like you don't have a peace about it anymore, and you're going, boy, I've had this feeling for a long time. One of the most holy things you can do is pray about, is God calling you to stay in that relationship? And maybe the most spiritual thing you do is to get out of something. I remember two months before our wedding, uh, March 2nd, uh, my wife surprised me in Illinois. We were dating long distance, and she came up to uh, Illinois, and she came surprised me on Saturday night because I was preaching the next day, and she didn't tell me, and there was this big blizzard that hit, like eight inches of snow. We had three feet of drifts, and she, all I heard was this knock Saturday night, like eight o'clock, a knock on my door. I'm like, somebody's either stranded, like, this isn't good, and I run to the door, and it's Ruthie, and I'm like, oh my goodness, ah, you know, and I'm losing my mind, and this is like, I literally heard this song play in the back of my mind, you know, we got eight inches of snow outside, two months before my wedding, all this stuff, baby, it's cold outside, <laughs> really can't stay, right, you know, all this other stuff, and this is what I knew, I got, I got to get out of here. This was going to be the beginning of Netflix and chill, right? Like, this was not going to be good. And some of us say some of this, Nate, you got two months till you're married. Big deal. You know what the Holy Spirit was telling me? Get out. Call my buddy Drew. Hey, dude, can we come over to your house and hang tonight? I don't want to lose my virginity, man. <laughs> He's like, yeah, dude, come on up. See, this is why we need the church. Because the word of God was in my gut, it was in my heart, but peace was telling me, Nate, this is great, Ruthie's done nothing wrong, but you better get out of here. You better get out of here, man. With the feet fitted, with the readiness of the gospel of peace, God might be calling you not just to get out of something, but to step into something. See, we better seek the peace. We better go, peace, all right, God, I, I'm not ready, but I'm going to step into this. I'm going to go into this. And then he gives us the shield of faith. See, as we're moving and we begin to move into the things of God, he goes, now, guess what? You need the shield of faith because faith filters our thoughts. Because I guarantee you this, as soon as you start stepping into the things of Jesus, guess who is hacked off? Your enemy. That's why Paul says he starts, and I love this phrase, he's so real with it. He says, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Satan is, as soon as you step in and you start falling, dude, he is firing at you. You can't do that. Don't you know who you are? You lead a small group. Who are you to lead anybody to Jesus? He's just firing at you, man. You're like, well, I think the, I think the spirit of peace is calling me to step into this. Dude, he is just... He is, throwing everything he can, and this is why he says, and put up the shield of faith. See, faith isn't just that you say a prayer one time. Faith is going, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. See, it's our faith, not our energy, not our power, that is deflecting all these arrows that are coming at us. You came to church now. Maybe you got a flat tire on the way here. You go, see, as soon as I went to church. Mm-mm. Listen to what 1 Peter 5 says. 1 Peter 5, 9. He talks about how the devil 
is a creep. And he creeps around, he prowls around like a lion seeking to devour his prey. And we read that and we go, oh my goodness. Listen to what the next verse says. Resist him, standing firm in the what? How do you resist Satan? Not your strength, not your shield. He'll punch right through that. The shield of faith. No, 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 my faith's in Jesus Christ. Oh, I've walked away from Jesus. Oh, I've walked the different path of Jesus, but I have come to him. He has given me the spirit of peace. He has given me his shield of faith. And yet, Satan, you can say whatever. See, this is what he did to Adam. Surely you won't die. Is what he did to Jesus in the desert. If you really are the son of God, Jesus is following the spirit. He's following the spirit. Here comes Satan. If you are the son of God. And he goes, uh-uh, uh-uh, nope. No, it's not. See, sometimes we feel bad if we think Satan's tempting us. You need to understand, you are tempted. Don't feel bad about it. Pick up your sword. Pick up the shield. Pick up all these things that God has given you to fight. You are in a fight. Have you picked up any of the weapons that God's given you? See, this is how we defeat the enemy. And he says this, the helmet of salvation the helmet of salvation is telling you and I this. Keep your head in the game. Keep your head in the game. Keep your head in the game. When you guys came in, in your cup holder, you saw a book, bookmark. This is just simple, something real simple that the rooted people gave us to say, hey, this is a way to help your people keep their head in the game. That when you become a Christian, what that bookmark says is this. It begins to tell you who you are. It begins to tell you who you are. I don't know who I am anymore. I know. This is why you need to become weak so that you can become strong and allow the word of God. And this is what he begins to say. He goes on offense. This is what's awesome. He goes on offense and he said, now pick up the sword of the spirit. Have you realized everything Paul has said this whole time is all defensive? Now he begins to get offensive. I love a phrase somebody said was this. He goes, a good defense is actually a good offense. Man, in the Super Bowl tomorrow, you're going to see some great defense. But guess what? If you don't score, guess what's going to happen? You ain't going to win. you got to score points. And Paul goes on the offense and he says, the sword of the Spirit, which means this, the Word of God is the way forward. Man, pick up the sword. Let me ask you, how long has it been since you picked up your sword? You know why it feels like life is just kicking the mess out of you? I wonder if you got any weapons. I'm not saying you're not going through hard times. I'm going, have you picked up what God has given you to fight with? You got an enemy. I got an enemy. He's going, I don't care that you're a pastor. Here comes that pride. Some of the people who have destroyed the church the most isn't the culture, it's the pastor and the priest that have led it. Because what pastors can do is this, we can put down our sword and go, I got it. I'm the pastor. Look out. Look out. Pick up your sword. And then he says this, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. 
on all occasions. Pray in the Spirit. We got to take time to talk with God. Man, we got to take time to talk with Him. My wife, she's been teaching me this. Uh, I, I thought it was immature, which is why I married her, because she's like, you need to become mature. She felt bad for me. She's like, I guess I'll marry you. But I literally, I'd make fun of her, because I was like, oh, man, you know, tomorrow, God blesses. Some of you, you get to go golfing in February. It's going to be awesome tomorrow. And I remember sometimes I'd go, oh, man, I want to go outside, or I want to go golf, and it's supposed to rain that day. And she'd say this to me. She goes, why don't you pray about it? And I'd go, God doesn't care about the weather. She goes, just pray about it. Just pray about it. And sometimes weather would change. Sometimes it wouldn't. But you know why we pray about everything? So that we can be grateful all the time. So we can be grateful. all the, That's why we pray. Father, thank you for listening. God, I feel surrounded, but I am actually surrounded by you. Thank you. See, I don't see prayer as a weapon. You know what I see prayer sometimes as? A last resort. You know what Paul is saying about prayer? He's going, oh, no, 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 no. That's your first line of defense. The word of God and prayer are your one-two punch. Man, I need to be in God's word. It is shaping me. And God, I need to be praying all the time. Not just that I don't mess up, but God, it even says that we would go on to pray for all the saints. This is why our community is so important, that we are praying for one another, that we are lifting one another up. Because we're going, man, we have an enemy. I want to invite our volunteers who are going to serve communion to head on back right now. And we're going to take communion, but this is what I want to do real quick. As they're heading back, I just want to be, I just want to create a moment. When we take communion here, we do it, but we do it in a mindset to remind ourselves. And this is what I want to ask you right now. As you look at the game plan, as we begin to look and we begin to hear about the enemy who's coming after us, I just got a couple questions for you, for you to begin to think and pray about before they serve communion. I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to participate in communion. But I want, maybe for some of you, you need to answer this first question. Are you strong in the Lord? And maybe in this moment right now, maybe right now, is the first time that you'll ever admit that you're actually weak. And today you need to begin to just simply take a moment to say, God, I'm weak. And he said, good. Because now you're what? Now you're strong. See, you know what's fascinating is this. Nobody saw what Jesus was going to do. Even literally a day before he's going to the cross, you know what James and John, two of his closest disciples, asked him? Hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, when you take over Rome, can I sit on your left and can I sit on your right? You know what they're asking? Jesus, when you become president, can I be your VP? What do you tell him? You don't have a clue. This is why he kept telling them this, because they thought this. They thought Jesus was coming to cut the head off of Rome. Jesus goes, that's not how I'm handling evil. I'm handling evil by suffering and by giving love to this world. 
What did Judas do? He took the money, didn't he? He saw that Jesus wasn't going to do what he wanted him to do, so he goes, I'll take the money and run. I'll run. For some of us, man, your biggest battle is coming to a place to go, you know what? I am weak. And Jesus goes, oh, good, because now that you know that and you place your faith in me, you will be strong in me and in my mighty power. For some of you right now, this is a time when we come to communion, we remember, oh no, Jesus, it's all about you. What have I done, man? I haven't been opening the word. I've been fighting in my own power. I, I've forgotten that you have provided everything that I need. And when we come to this time of communion, what we say is this, no, Jesus, it is your body broken and your blood poured out for me. This is how I fight my battles. That I allow your word and your prayer to change me because you and I, we're in a struggle. See, this is what unites us as a church. That's the commonality you and I have. When we come into this room, we all admit, I'm struggling. And we go, I'm weak. But thank God that Jesus and his grace and his mercy on the cross makes us strong. Have you become weak so that you can become strong? Let's pray, and then we'll take communion together. Father, thank you. Thank you that your word is open and honest with us. Thank you that, Jesus, you call us to something greater than ourselves. And, Jesus, what you're calling us to, it's not about our ability. It's not about if we can or where we come from or even about the amount of money we have. God, you don't make it about that at all. You make it about our weakness and your power in the cross of Jesus. And so right now, God, as we take this bread and the juice, we declare openly and joyfully that we are weak without you. And Jesus, thank you for living opposite of this world, this world of darkness. We thank you that you forgive us and that you give us another way forward. So Jesus, in this moment right now, would we remember you, that you are our strength and you are our power. Greater is the one in you than the one who is in the world. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray and we fight. Amen.